Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan in Shawnee, Kansas, and we have got a lot of NFL free agency and Chiefs football to discuss, so let's not delay. Let's introduce the guys, and we will get to it. He was offered a record-setting contract but chose to stay at home. Sam Bleck is with us here on the podcast. How are you, man? Doing pretty good. You know, money is not everything. It definitely helps, but you can you – can, Build relationships that are worth that are more priceless than, than what you get out of a contract sometimes. He is holding out for a multi-year deal amongst the many one-year offers that he has been presented so far. Jacob Allen is with us. How are you, bud? Quit shorting me, everybody. I'm worth a long-term deal. I don't have to prove anything anymore. I've already proven it. And I am holding out here for that value contract, getting that one last hurrah before my knees finally explode. So let's get to it, guys, because there was a lot of news after our last podcast. And we well, thank God it waited till you know we dropped the podcast because it didn't wait very long. And then all of a sudden everything happened. But let's talk first about what happened with the Chiefs, and then we'll maybe move broader to the rest of the NFL. So after we finish recording the podcast later that week the Chiefs did sign one more guard to pair with Joe Tooney and Kyle Long we had talked about this last week where Kyle Long was had said he was coming out of retirement had a visit with Oakland Raiders first and then was going to be with the Chief, uh, visiting with the Chiefs if it didn't work out there he did end up signing a one-year contract with Kansas City worth up to five million dollars you know, if you look at some of the videos that he's posted online, some of the workouts he's doing, he's looking like he's in great shape, ready to get back to his Pro Bowl form. We'll see what happens. The contract obviously doesn't, you know, indicate that they are expecting him to be a stud starter. That's, but you know, the move itself comes with a lot of high reward, low risk, and you know, we'll see what happens. We'll get into that here in just a moment. And also, just to kind of preview what we're going to talk about here in just a moment, Melvin Ingram. The former Charger pass rusher outside linebacker defensive end hybrid is scheduled to meet with the Chiefs on Wednesday. So when this episode drops, we're recording this here on Tuesday night on March 23rd. Uh, once this episode drops, which will be more than likely uh, tomorrow or tomorrow night or Thursday morning, he will have had a meeting with the Chiefs and hopefully have signed with the Chiefs. We will see. They're also bringing in defensive back Quan Williams, who none of us really knew a whole lot about, but is a slot corner coming from San Francisco 49ers. He will be visiting with the Chiefs at some point. That timeline has yet to be disclosed. So amidst all of this, let's start with the Kyle Long signing since that's what we know. Like I said, one year up to $5 million. Jacob, we're going to come to you here first. How do you feel about Kyle Long uh, being a Kansas City Chief? Yeah, first off, his workouts are a little soft. Uh, if he does want some advice on how to actually get shredded, he can come to the house of Swole anytime he'd like. Uh, but in reality, when I leave the dream world and they start actually using my brain, I don't know how you could really be upset with the deal because it's 1 and 1.5 is the only guaranteed money worth up to 5, which is perfect because you're assuming, we don't know the full details yet, you're assuming that 5 is you played 16 games. So he was essentially a starter. I don't, I don't understand how you could dislike that deal. On top of that, it gives them more depth than they ended up with last year, which, again, is something to like about it. There's not a whole lot, at least from my opinion, you know, feel free to tell me I'm wrong, 
but there's not a whole lot to dislike about it. When it first dropped and said one year for five million, I was kind of like, oh, that kind of sucks for a guy that's been out of the NFL. But that's Andy Reid's specialty is talking to guys out of retirement. But then when the further details came out, one, 1. 1.5 and up to five, I thought slam dunk deal. Plus, it also came with the side note of I went to Oakland and came to Kansas City and realized this was the right place. So that always makes you feel good. Sorry, not o- – you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Oakland. It is. They'll always be the Oakland Raiders. That would make a lot of sense why that visit didn't go very well if he did go to Oakland to visit the Raiders. And, you know, that explains a lot why he might have gone, oh, this isn't very good. Uh, Sam, what about you? When you heard that Kyle Long had inked the deal with the Chiefs, what was your reaction? I thought it was a good deal. Um, like Jacob said, there's there's nothing to be mad about with the deal. It, it adds depth. I mean, you can't really – it's not like the Tooney signing where you're like, holy crap, we just got a – elite offensive lineman Kyle Long was a um, very good player Uh, he was a good play I mean a pro bowl caliber guard for multiple years when he played for the Bears so I think he's could come in and and if he can regain what he was prior to sitting out this last year or retiring technically uh, he's definitely a good add if in if at the least he's good depth so I'm excited for him. Um, I think it gives us a lot of options, uh, especially with with it sounding more and more like Tardif is supposed to come back um, for the 2021 season. Him potentially moving out to tackle, like we talked about last week, is that gives that an option as well. So it, it's just it gives you more depth, more experience on the offensive line that you're again having to rebuild. So nothing, nothing to that blew me away. It was just a it was just a good signing overall. The flexibility is what stands out to me because I had forgotten that he came in as a tackle and and I think I forgot it even after I think you mentioned it Sam in one of our conversations I don't remember if it was on the podcast or off the podcast but I'd forgotten that he played tackle so the flexibility definitely lines up with what Andy Reid likes to have in his offensive linemen guys who can play along you know different positions along the offensive line see Mike Remmers being brought back and his ability to play guard and tackle the only thing that I see that makes it weird is you kind of have a gluttony of guys who are probably really good at right tackle in a pinch and three, a bunch of guys who are not great at left tackle to be kind. And that's the spot that you know, they're still looking to fill. But as far as a depth, uh, depth signing, loved it. I, I thought this was a rare case of a low risk, high reward signing where if he gets back to his Pro Bowl caliber play, amazing. You just signed a Pro Bowl player for $5 million. That's insane. So I don't know what his plans are going to be, but it's going to be something that he could potentially end up doing. Now, one of the things that you kind of pointed out to us here, Sam, is that, you know, LDT coming back, sounding more and more like he's going to come back. And there are reports that, you know, you shared with us that he is going to come back. Does that mean that right guard is now up for competition? Does that mean right tackle is up for competition? We assumed that right tackle was going to be at least a battle in camp because of uh, his time with Lucas Deang, but and Mike Remmers both being on the team and not wanting to just give everything to a guy who hasn't played an NFL snap yet. But right guard now seems to be a position that is up for grabs. So I'm assuming, I you know, I won't speak for you guys, but it seems like to me the Chiefs would 
for Laurent Duvernay Tardif to come in and be the starter, and you have Kyle Long as depth, and if Kyle Long outplays him, great. Who would you guys rather see uh, end up as the starter, knowing the guy's top end play and the you know the bottom potential for each of those players? Um, Sam, I'll come back to you here. Is there a guy that you prefer to see take the reins and and be your starting right guard? The best player, Sean. That's who I want. Uh, it, it's hard because, again, you've got a guy coming off retire, out of retirement with Long and then Tardif sitting out a year. Tardif, I think we all had – we all know he's not the elite guard. He's not the guy that – I mean, he, he is a very serviceable guard. We saw that in the Super Bowl run. We saw how much losing him did affect us. So I'm not saying he's, he's the standout of, of the guy that's going to come in immediately and start – but he is probably more familiar with the system overall. I, I For me, it's it's whatever the combination needs to be to protect Patrick Mahomes is what I'm at. Because at this point, it's hard to know what guys are going to come back as, especially with, with in Tardif's case, the guy was being a doctor, not an NFL player. So how was he able to maintain his his strength, his, his playing ability while working – probably 60 hours a week during the COVID crisis. So uh, it, it'll be an interesting competition, I think. But that's the good thing about it is it's competition. It's not like we were last year where it's just like, um, you can play, I guess, so go in there. It was whatever we – I mean, they were at the bottom of the barrel. So just being able to have competition is, is an advantage this year, I think, over what we had to deal with last year. Jacob, what about you? Is there anything that you think you can expect from, you know, knowing that – that Kyle Long is coming off of retirement. Laurent Duvernay Tardif is like, as Sam mentioned, is coming off of being a doctor and fighting a pandemic. Where do you see this competition falling? How do you, how do you think it might shake out? I think I want to start first with Sam knocking barrels. Anybody that's read the Hobbit knows there's a lot of potential for a barrel for multiple uses. So Sam, I don't appreciate the bottom of the barrel reference. There needs to be fish in the barrel, Jacob, Uh, not the bottom. So that's the, that's the problem. (laughs) Uh, I think the phrase Sam was looking for was best player available because I talked about how silly that phrase is during the NFL draft, but it really is exactly what should happen. And that's the point for the competition. Sam has, you know, nailed it on the head. LDT has been out of football for a year. LDT wasn't the shining star along the line, but at the same time, I do think he was better than what they had last year at guard at times. That's tough to say how it'll shake out, but that is a positive going in is that you do feel like there's competition there because, of course, pressure makes diamonds since we're all using cliches here. Now, the Chiefs are going to try and fill some other holes potentially here with a couple of visits that I mentioned in the open with Kawan Williams, who is primarily a nickel corner, a slot corner for the uh, 49ers last year. And then a name that we're all very familiar with that, Jacob, you've brought up multiple times and often, I think maybe even on the podcast, uh, Melvin Ingram, that you'd like to see get brought in as a potential rotational pass rusher, situational pass rusher, who you think could be a real contributor for the Chiefs. Um, Melvin Ingram, obviously painfully aware of his time with San Diego and Los Angeles Chargers. He is, you know, along with Joey Bosa, wreaked a lot of havoc on Chiefs tackles and quarterbacks. Both those guys are coming in. Kwan Williams, we know a lot less about because he played with 49ers in the NFC. And, you know, he's not as prominent position as, you know, primary pass rusher. 
knowing that they are bringing him, do you, what was your guys' reaction to hearing that Melvin Ingram and Quan Williams are both being brought in for visits? Um, Jacob, we'll come back to you here first on this one. First with Melvin Ingram, I, I do think it's important to just, you know, make that distinct call of situational pass rusher because he is a guy that has not been healthy over the last two seasons. I believe he's 20 out of 32 games played, which is concerning. I would almost say that we will hear Melvin Ingram signing tomorrow unless he's asking for crazy money. Now, what is crazy money for a guy that hasn't played a lot and is on his, I believe, third contract in the NFL now? I don't know. You can look at his projected market value is $11 million per year. It's a little steep for what I would want to do. Uh, I would hope they could get him on a shorter deal, two or three years, because most guys won't sign the one-year deal. I mean, that's just not typical, I should say, especially someone like him who's on the end of his career, wants to get one more payday you know, maybe two or three year deal, cut it down a little bit and say 26 million, 27 million. Now, is that realistic? Probably not, but I would just be curious to know how much guaranteed money he gets out of it. Cause I could see it being a slam dunk or an absolute disaster based on how much money they give him. But I like him, like I said, because the two having a second guy across from Frank Clark could help Frank Clark as well, who we all know has been a point of our frustration this year, but having somebody from the other side to also help him push back wouldn't be nice. A a la Derek Thomas and Neil Smith type deal. Sam, what about you hearing the names that are coming in to fill spots along your defense? What was your reaction to those guys being brought in to hopefully help out the chiefs? I'll start with, with Ingram, just because I think he's the one we know more about, obviously, as we've had to see him multiple years or multiple times a year for the past, what, seven, eight years or whatever it's been. My only worry with him is Frank Clark has already started to show like he is a situational pass rusher. Do we need two of those? Um, And I'd be happy with him coming in kind of like Jacob said for the right price. We've already seen some big spending by the chiefs, especially obviously with Tooney. I can't see us bringing these these veterans in like Ingram, who's been injured so often for high money to to fill a situational role, I think. Now, again, he comes back to the, what, four years ago where he had 10 and a half sacks. Great. That's awesome. But in the way it's been, uh, he he's kind of in that declining phase right now where it seems like kind of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where how can you tell – when a player is past their prime or declining and he's really shown he's kind of the guy that's like, okay, he can't stay healthy. And that's why he's declining. And the defensive line is not a huge need for the chiefs. I don't think necessarily, obviously it's, it was one of our stronger points. I thought last year, as far as depth, maybe not performance, but definitely depth. And I think they're still relatively there. I think they need to sign a couple of those kind of no-name guys that we had last year, the the short-up rotational guys. But he'd be a, I think he'd be a nice addition for the right price. My only worry is if Frank Clark's going to continue his descent into being a situational pass rusher, where's our pass rush really going to come from if those guys are both doing the same thing? As far as – I'm going to even have to look up his name because I can't remember what the guy's name is. Quan Williams. I know nothing about Quan Williams. I'm not even going to come out here and say that I – know every bit about what kind of player he is. I know cornerback is a position of need. So that's, that's the only thing I'm looking at is that that is one of the positions. So 
if he's coming in to fill that nickel spot, um, kind of like Fuller did, as you mentioned before the podcast, I think that'd be a benefit for us, especially a faster cornerback. Well, I say faster. I don't know. Again, know nothing about him. So he could be incredibly slow. And I'm just speaking out the other side of my face. But just based off what the Chiefs need, he would be one I'd be more interested in than necessarily Ingram, just because I think it's a higher higher need at the position than, than defensive line. I'll go in reverse order. I actually, I like the Kawan Williams specifically, but what it does for Legereus Sneed in that it would allow him to move outside almost exclusively. Uh, I think I, I've been on record on this podcast and our Chiefs chat and anybody else who listened to me, I think Legereus Sneed is on his way to being an all-pro player, not just because of what he does as far as cover corner, but his ability to take away the ball, his ability to blitz off the edge, the fact that he is willing to come up and help and run support and is a very not just good tackler for a corner, but a willing tackler for a corner. I think that's something that gets – overlooked is not just a guy's ability to tackle but his willingness to tackle especially in secondary players I think that's huge so allowing Legereus to play outside I think is good and if and if Kawan Williams is good enough to come in and be your primary slot corner awesome if not he's a depth piece and I'm fine with that too as far as Melvin Ingram goes I I've been on record as saying I think the pass rush and the defensive line is more of a need than we give it credit for right now simply because of Frank Clark and I don't I don't think that we can hope I think I'm a better way to say this I think the best thing you can do is bring in as many affordable pieces around him that you think will make a difference I expect Tershawn Wharton to take a step forward next year I thought he was really good for especially for an undrafted rookie Mike Dana I expect to take a, a step forward next year I do think you need somebody on the outside. And I think that the rotation of Tano Passanio, Alex Okafer was not enough. And I think if Ingram can be someone you bring in on second and long, third and long, third and five, to be the guy that really helps get after the quarterback and you can hopefully maintain his health that way by limiting his snaps, I think that's huge. Because Melvin Ingram, if you watch some of his film, also does a really good job of setting the edge against the run. So even if they try to catch you off guard in what most people consider a sub package, I think he would do well enough against the run to really hold, to hold the edge and not get blown up and, and give up you know, a large gain on the ground. I would be surprised, Jacob, to your point about the contract, I would be surprised if it is more than a one-year deal for basically what they were going to offer Juju Smith-Schuster, which is like around $8 million. I would be stunned if it was more than that just because of what you guys have both said is that he's getting on in in NFL years and has had a hard time staying healthy. And then the last thing I'll throw into that is the TV money that's coming. If Melvin Ingram can have a terrific year on a one-year contract with a, a Super Bowl contending team and get noticed, I think that positions him to get, like you were saying, Jacob, that one last contract, maybe, you know, that three to four year deal where he gets 20, $30 million guaranteed and has one last hurrah uh, making money after hopefully obtaining the ring he's been chasing. Now it hasn't all been sunshine and rainbows for the chiefs in terms of bringing in free agents. In fact, it has primarily been the opposite here of late. We talked a lot about, Trent Williams last week and all the talk about the Chiefs being interested, being one of the primary teams along with the San Francisco 49ers to lock up Trent Williams. And they weren't able to, to get it done. Trent Williams ends up going back home 
to the San Francisco 49ers, and the Chiefs are left now without a left tackle. That's really hard to do. Now, it, it was in that situation, if you haven't, I think the story's on The Athletic, so if you're not a subscriber, you might not have seen it, but David Lombardi also tweeted out, a, a bit of the story on why he ended up going back to the 49ers. He had already told Kyle Shanahan that he would give him, you know, the last chance to make an offer, no matter what deal he had. Lombardi says here that in, in this tweet, that when Kansas city was close to finalizing a deal, Williams called Shanahan and said, we need to hurry this up. So it was very clear that Trent Williams wanted to go back to San Francisco regardless. And he got record money in order to do it. So that one stings, but you kind of understand why it happened. Juju Smith-Schuster, I mentioned just a moment ago, I think is the one that kind of started the trend of, ooh, that kind of stings, where he was offered one for $8 million, one year $8 million from the Pittsburgh Steelers, one for $8 million from the Chiefs with incentives to make even more, and then one for nine with Baltimore Ravens with incentives to make more. And he goes back to Pittsburgh. Josh Reynolds is another uh, wide receiver that's on the market this year, ends up going to the Titans. The reasoning that I hear for guys like Juju Smith-Schuster and Reynolds taking contracts with other teams is, well, they know they're not going to be the number one option in, in that offense. They're going to want to try and make as much, as much money as they can in the TV deal coming up. They're more familiar with these other systems. And I'm able to and I'm able to take all of those arguments individually, but when you start adding them up, it's like, well, they're not going to be number one. Juju Smith-Schuster will be the number one target in Pittsburgh, but he's working with the corpse of Ben Roethlisberger in a, in a team that, you know, does throw the ball. So, okay, I can kind of get it with him, but Reynolds went to a run first team and is going to be a number two option at best. The question now is presented, are you concerned about the play, about the Chiefs missing out on these players? Regardless of what the reasoning is, at this point, how do you guys feel about it? Is there a level of concern that you feel, or is this just kind of how it goes? Um, Jacob, I'll come back to you here first. Yeah, it's it's a little mind-boggling to try to get inside the minds of the NFL player, especially from the perspective that we're all Chiefs fans and like, well, why wouldn't you want to play with Patrick Mahomes? Because I think going into free agency, we kind of thought, you know, everybody wants to play with Patrick Mahomes. Every single NFL free agent will sign with the Chiefs, and then the 53-man roster won't be a thing anymore. It'll be the 153-man roster of the Kansas City Chiefs, and everybody will have to suck up to try to get playing time from GM Mahomes. So I think that's kind of the extreme of how we feel about free agency. And, yeah, it does sting a little bit and does make you wonder about it. Is there something off? The Trent Williams one, money. Juju Smith-Schuster, who knows? That guy isn't right in the head anyway. So he would – we made the joke, but he would be the old man's least – the old men of the Chiefs kingdom's least favorite player with his antics as well. So I wasn't hurt that Juju didn't come. But then, yeah, then after Josh Reynolds, you start to wonder about, what is going on? And I think it is. I think it's still just the ability to make money for the upcoming year and almost prove it. And for Juju, I think he just liked Pittsburgh. And for Josh Reynolds, you almost wonder if he thinks, you know, maybe I can capitalize this year by going somewhere that just lost receivers. So I'm not overly concerned about it. 
the only thing that I am concerned about is it has left the Chiefs with one major hole. That's where my concern is at, is that there's not a left tackle. The second wide receiver I don't worry about as much. I think they would be able to find somebody that Patrick Mahomes can make better quite, not quite easily, but easily. You think of when, how many different receivers Peyton Manning made look like all pro type receivers who weren't all that awesome. But perfect example would be an Eric Decker, you know, Eric Decker all of a sudden looked all pro because Peyton Manning could throw the ball into a shoebox. And I use him way too often as an example, but I think that's the thing Mahomes can do for you. Now, do I want to go get another receiver? Heck yeah, I do. But the only concern I have is left tackle. Sam, what about you? When you start to see the names add up uh, as time's gone on that went to other teams instead of the Chiefs, what's your level of concern with that? Really none, to be completely honest. I'm, I'm right there with Jacob that not getting a left tackle hurts. But I was more I was honestly surprised we were as close as we were with Trent Williams. I thought that was such a far-fetched deal that I, I was really surprised that it came down to us and the 49ers and the 49ers just won out because that was his team. The wide receivers, Juju, I don't care about because I though he's a talented receiver, I don't think he's that good. He hasn't been the productive the productive receiver that he was when he had Antonio Brown on the other side. Now some might put the argument that, okay, now put Tyreek on the other side and what would he do? But I think in reality, what that deal for him was, was he's familiar with Pittsburgh. He's playing a one-year deal. He wants to get as many stats as he can. So instead of going to a team and learning a completely new playbook and competing for balls with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, he's going back to a team that doesn't have a lot of weapons that he already knows the system. I think that's more reasonable for him. And Josh Reynolds, I mean, I think that four years, 1,450 yards, that's really going to hurt the Chiefs not getting because he, I mean, he is just a production machine over the past four years getting that all 1,000 yards. That's a pretty impressive receiver. So I didn't even know who he was. So I'm not too concerned. I mean, Sam, Sam, but he's 6'4. He he was already going to have 2,000 <laughs> receiving yards next year with the Chiefs because he's 6'4. He, he's 6'3", Jacob. Come on. 6'3", oh, 193. He's not, he's not that impressive. Let's come. Come on. No, but, I mean, he's he's going to the Titans. He's going to a team that I, I, he's a big physical receiver, apparently. Maybe he will fit well with that system. Free agency, I think, as Chiefs fans, the number of free agents we've seen, we think we're going to get, and then they disappear. It, this, it, it just kind of – water off the back for me at this point. I mean, I go back to the Emmanuel Sanders days of, oh, we've got him, we've got him, we've got him. Oh, yeah, he plays for Broncos now. Same with the Peyton Manning situation where he just flew over Kansas City to get to the Broncos. It, it, I'm not too concerned about it as long as they continually go out to get pieces. If they're, if they're As long as they're not just like, oh, we failed on these guys, we'll stick with what we've got. So that that's all I'm worried about is, is making sure we get the positions we need um, not necessarily the guys that were passing up on or passed us up, I guess. Honestly, you guys have made me feel better because I, well, I wasn't like worried. I think that's a stronger word. I was mildly concerned once we got to Josh Reynolds. The other ones I can, like you said, Sam, I can make an argument and go, okay, it's this, this, and this. You know, Trent Williams was never coming to Kansas City because uh, he always wanted 49ers to beat him out. And the 49ers were going to offer the most money no matter what because they got the last chance to do it. Juju Smith-Schuster, I agree. I think he wanted to be the number one option. 
what better place to do it than a system that you know inside and out with a quarterback who knows you're his only option right now. Well, his only option, but his most familiar option. Those two I can kind of write off. But the last one was the one that got me, like Reynolds going to a run first team where he's not the number one option. That was the one that weirded me out a little bit that made me a little uncomfortable. I felt because, like you said, he he does kind of fit the profile of what we've all talked the Chiefs need in opposite of Tyreek Hill and opposite of Travis Kelsey, a big physical receiver who kind of can bring some balance to that offense, take away some of those intermediate and shorter routes uh, and make tougher contested catches uh, in traffic without having to worry about physicality. But hearing you guys talk about it makes me feel a little bit better where it's like, okay, you know, there there are a lot of free agents that you're not going to get for whatever reason, one or another. So it'll be something to keep tabs on, but uh, I agree with you, Jacob, and that the biggest concern is that it just leaves a gaping hole at left tackle at a premium position. One that I think we would all say is probably the most important because you're protecting the blind side of a half a billion dollar quarterback. Which leads us to the next question, which is, where do you go from here? You know, you still have some holes on your team. You are bringing in Melvin Ingram. You are bringing in Kwan Williams. And lest we forget to mention, they did sign the Storm and Mormon, Daniel Sorensen, to a one-year, about $2.5 million contract, which, by the way, is fully guaranteed for those who didn't see. Really happy to have him back. But you still have a lot of holes that need to be addressed biggest of which is left tackle. So where do we go from here? Sam, I'll throw it to you here first. What are your next steps to try and fill the holes that are still left with the Chiefs? The the pool of, of known talents is, is starting to dwindle a little bit, which is obviously concerning. I, I, there are still a couple big name guys. Well, I say big name guys, guys that have been productive tackles in the NFL, still kind of on the market. Uh, we mentioned a couple of them last week. Russell Okung and Alejandro Villanueva are two of the big ones that I, I look at. And I'm like, you know, for a year, two years, maybe they could be a, a decent stopgap of, of talent, of guys coming in and potentially helping us out, um, get past this little side. I, I'm starting to think more and more the draft is looking like where they may be going. I, I don't know the, what the draft pool of offensive tackles, left tackles specifically looks like this year. I haven't really dug into it that much with uh, the pro or pro days coming out now. So we'll be able to get some more information, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's where they're, they're looking towards is that they're going to prioritize a, a tackle within the first two picks um, specifically to try to fill that hole. I, I would still like to see one of those, Older veterans, the guys that still have the ability to produce for a little while, for a year, two years, like I said, come in um, and and just give us that little stopgap. But it was weird because a lot of the the big name players it, this year was a lot more looking at a lot more of the the interior line. Um, there was a lot of interior linemen that were in free agency and tackle wasn't. I mean, Trent Williams obviously the big one, but. It, it's going to be weird. Um, we did bring Rimmers back, and Rimmers has showed that he has the ability to swing both sides a little bit. I don't want him to be our starting left tackle at all, but I think push comes to shove, he could at least be that guy that goes in and, and does something, um, and then right, we can chip off that side a little bit more. But I'd like to see us go after one of these older veterans and then draft a guy just to, to build into the offensive line a little better there. 
Jacob, what about you? When you still see the whole left tackle and the other positions, you know, like wide receiver, like corner that we've talked about, where do you go from here if you're Kansas City? Yeah, let me start with tackle first. I think the initial issue is there is let's I'm going to throw out the veteran guys for a moment and look at the other options. So internally, I think you have five right tackle options and no left tackle options. Nobody you feel comfortable protecting the half a billion dollar man. And then in the draft where the Chiefs currently sit, I don't I don't see a a left tackle really available. I still see I see again five or six reliable right tackles that you can plug in and play. I think there's a lot of good right tackle type guys that are going to be consistent, not dominant, but will be NFL guys. Now, let me get crazy here and say, you know what? I'm not sure the Chiefs are actually going to go after one of the veteran tackles. I think we might, this might be the place where the Chiefs make a trade, whether that's going and getting somebody or trading up in the draft and going and getting somebody. Only reason my brain is really kind of playing with that idea, other than, of course, playing ESPN 2K5 for way too many years, is that they were so aggressive at Trent Williams, they also think there's a big hole at left tackle, and they've shown, hey, we need to get our guy. And by our guy in free agency, it was Trent Williams. What I wonder the most is who is their guy next? Who's option number two? Because I I just can't believe I can't believe that you would say, hey, we're going after Trent Williams. And then your second option, you're like, well, you know what? We could just sign Villanueva on a one-year deal for nine, $10 million. I just, I don't, I don't think that's Brett Beach. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But that's where my mind is at, is that that's my next prediction is a trade up or a trade four of a, of a left tackle, something aggressive in that nature. And then as far as the second wide receiver goes, because I think that's the other hole that I at least haven't talked about is I'm going to be honest. I still love T.Y. Hilton. And the reason being, like you guys said earlier about Juju, he's good. I don't think he's a bad player. I don't, I don't think anybody thinks that. I think he comes with a little bit of baggage being kind of a noise maker on social media. Sorry, I had to, I had to curb the old man in me and not use something as old mannish, but I think T.Y. Hilton is a guy that has proven at times he's elite versus a guy that's like Juju who's proven at times he's good. I think the way you can tell that distinction is just, you know, guys that get near 1,400 yard receiving. That's just kind of other echelon receiver versus a Juju who is like, hey, I approached 1,000 yards a couple times. So I'm still on the T.Y. Hilton bandwagon. I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's staying in Indianapolis. But the Colts hosting Sammy Watkins does encourage me a little bit. So that's why my brain is spinning around T.Y. Hilton at this point. He's still got a little bit of juice to get downfield. I think he could be made into more of a slot corner or not corner, slot receiver, the guy on the other side, a slot receiver and be the guy that catches the short intermediate routes for the Chiefs. If T.Y. Hilton is healthy, cool. And if he can play slot corner as well and play be a two-way player, awesome. But my only problem is that he – I heard this described to T.Y. Hilton on a, a podcast, RGR podcast. It's on YouTube if you guys want to give it a listen. It's a lot of Chiefs football. Um, Ryan Tracy is a former conditioning coach that used to run pro days at University of Kansas, uh, hosts it. 
And it's really interesting to get their perspective because like, he, he defines things as athletic. And one of his co-hosts at the time was talking about T.Y. Hilton is Sammy Watkins, but not in that he's hurt a lot, but unlike Sammy, he's on the field. But because he's hurt on the field, he's not as effective. And I hope that if they were to go get him, that he could play at least, you know, I'd hope 12 healthy games would be my target for him. Like if you can play 12 healthy games, I think it's a great signing. Left tackles my almost lone concern at this point, because I think Byron Pringle could probably be a fine outside receiver. If you really had to, wouldn't be my first or second choice, but if you have to fine. And I love Byron Pringle anyway, being a local guy. So why not? But left tackle is the one where your options are limited. I guarantee you, Veach has already called the Baltimore Ravens multiple times about Orlando Brown, and they told him to go jump off a cliff. There's no way the Ravens are helping the Chiefs out. If there was another option on the trade market that comes up, I think he Veach would be all over it. To me, it's, it's almost exclusively about the draft, seemingly at this point. Obviously, we don't know what they're doing behind closed doors, but just what we've been able to see and what you know, any insider you're able to follow on Twitter or you know, wherever you get your, your news sources from, there's not really a whole lot of news about the Chiefs being involved with guys like Russell Okung or Alejandro Villanueva, which I would have probably targeted Okung because I think you could have gotten him definitively on a one-year deal and really just prepped your tackle of the future for that one year, do almost a homes apprenticeship just for a different position. And on top of that, you could pay him in Bitcoin. That's also true. You would save so much money by paying him in Bitcoin, and then he might make even more money by paying him in Bitcoin. So it works out for everybody. I would love it if they'd sign a veteran just to hold the fort. But to me, it feels like they are almost solely focused for that position on the draft. Hey, uh, we could always go out and get Isaiah Wilson. That, that worked real well for the Dolphins, so we could we could go out and not have to not have to trade anything for him and just get him. I mean, hey, before he show up for game time, I'd be more on board. I just don't know that he'd show up at twelve noon Central Standard Time for kickoff. Okay, in fairness, before this podcast, I had no idea who he was. So if we wouldn't have talked about him on this podcast and when he got cut this week, I probably would have just been like, "Oh, some guy got cut," but. One name I do want to throw back at you just because I see the Twitter GMs use this name a lot. And it does make a little bit of sense for a couple reasons. Uh, Laramie Tunsil is one that people have also mentioned. Now, first reason I think it makes sense. The Texans are not a contender anymore because Deshaun Watson, who knows where that whole saga will end up. But if it ends up poorly, they're just going to dump guys. The other thing I like about it is that Laramie Tunsil is already paid, so you wouldn't have to trade and sign the guy. That is one of the names I've heard that I like, but again, it's ESPN 2K5 in me. Okay, so Laramie Tunsil to me is almost a, a no option just because of his contract. Not because of what it would do for the Chiefs, but what it would do to the Texans. He just restructured his contracts to clear up cap room for the Texans and in doing so what he did was create a 35.9 million dollar dead cap hit if they move on from him so you would lose out on 16 million dollars 
if you moved on from him in 2021. The earliest they're able to jump out of that contract is right is about, let's see here, 2022. And even then you're not saving a ton of cap. The big year is uh, 2023 when you'd really be able to get out from under it. 2022, you'd have to do a post June one trade slash release. 2023, you could save 18 and a half by moving on from him. Okay. And then to that, the thing I would mention though, is number one, we're talking about the franchise that traded their, best offensive player for a broken running back. And we've seen trades this off season already where teams have taken massive dead cap hits just to lose guys. So that would be my other comment is that that's why I'm not fully ruling it out because I don't disagree with you that it's a lot of dead money, but for some reason the NFL has decided in a year with a shortened salary cap, Hey, we can eat a ton of dead cap to get rid of somebody. So that's why I'm saying I'm not completely ruling it out. It's a long shot. But again, let me be ESPN 2K5, all right? Look, if they could swing it for Larry Mutunsel, I'd be on board, especially if you could like maybe re-sign Damian Williams on a non-guaranteed contract and then immediately trade him, and there's like a clause that his contract becomes fully guaranteed once he's traded. Great. I'd be on board with that. My only problem is I, I worry about the compensation. And not worry so much as I would be curious. I don't not worry because I think if you're willing, if you need to give up a second round pick to get a guy who's already under contract, you don't have to worry about restructuring or re-signing, re-upping at all. Cool. I'd be on board that with a starting left tackle, especially one like Laramie Tunsil. Um, I just wonder if that would be feasible. Knowing what the Texans would have to eat in order to get him up, I feel like you'd have to give up a second round pick that ends up being a conditional first pending on what Tunsil ends up doing. Like if he makes the Pro Bowl, does it escalate to a first? If they go to the Super Bowl, does it escalate to a first? Whatever the case might be. But in the spirit of 2K5, I would be 100% on board and making that deal. Again, Sean, I would typically agree with you. But again, this is the team that traded DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson. I I can't, like, I guess it's not the same team because Bill O'Brien's not there, but still it's the Texans. It's kind of like Al Davis's ghost still runs the Raiders. Yeah, I feel like they're just that bad of a team sometimes. So, I that that is a trade that would be the trade option is something I didn't really consider. I hadn't really thought of. I don't know why, but because because of all the years of Madden and, and all the video games that I used to trade all my picks away. But there are that would probably be the best way to get a a high caliber player at this point. I think because we're not probably going to see. I mean, out of the the veterans that are remaining, you're looking at guys that could be productive for you but not any kind of long-term solution obviously and then you if you're looking through the draft you're having to trade up to definitely get a a high performance left tackle so i think the trade option is probably the highest i i'd have to dig just personally dig to see what what kind of options are out there of any teams um but this year again the way like jacob said with some of the trades that have gone down it wouldn't surprise me for teams to be giving up on players especially with the, them just giving up this year, it seems like, on some of these teams. Yeah, I love the idea of the trade, especially because, like you said, the high, the performance level is going to be so vastly different if, if you're really trading for a top-end tackle than what you're going to be able to get in the draft. The talent difference might – you know, talent might be there. Talent difference might not be that, diff, might not be that drastic, but the performance, the polish, the skill set, that's what's where you're going to be missing out on. It's why I would love it if Veach could somehow convince Baltimore to take a second round and a future second round pick 
you know, a couple of seconds and maybe a third somewhere for Orlando Brown and, and bring him in to be your starting left tackle. But the Ravens hate the Chiefs, and there's no way that that had ever happened. So it's a matter of, okay, who else is available? Laramie Tunsil was one I would have I would have thought, okay, maybe before the, the restructure of his contract. But post that, I don't know if they'd be willing to eat that much cap, even in a year where eating cap apparently seems to be the new thing. Now, sticking with the Texans, uh, we're going to move to a maybe more serious topic. And we debated kind of how to address this because we are a sports podcast. We like to have fun. That's why we started doing this uh, through quarantine was one, we missed each other. And two, we just enjoy talking about Chiefs football. It's a good time. And we like talking about the NFL in general. It's a, it's a lot of fun for us. This story came up and it's not a lot of fun when you're talking about Deshaun Watson and his now, 14 lawsuits that he's facing for sexual misconduct, sexual assault. So what we've decided to do in approaching this topic, because none of us, uh, the best way I ever, I heard, I saw, I shouldn't say I heard, the best way I saw this described was, and I forget the person who tweeted it out, but they said either Deshaun Watson really is a monster who sexually assaulted all these women, or this is one of the most heinous attempts to smear someone's character just to get them back in line. In either way, it's, this has been horrible and disgusting. And because obviously this is all unresolved and there are still lawsuits pending, and now Deshaun Watson's lawyer has come out and said that they have evidence showing that one of the uh, lawsuits uh, allegations are, is, is false and that they think that this evidence would be able to allow them to call into question the rest of the lawsuits uh, that are pending against Deshaun Watson, you know, we're going to stay away from that. So what we're going to talk about is how do we think this affects the ability to acquire him and what you give up for him? And do you even think teams want him at this point? Would you be willing to go ahead and try to acquire a player in the midst of all of this? So that's the approach we're going to take it. We just want to put that out on front street in case anyone goes, wow, you addressed the Deshaun Watson thing without really talking about the Deshaun Watson thing. It's exactly what we're going to do. Uh, Jacob, I will come back to you here first. Obviously all this stuff that's surrounding him is unresolved. So knowing that if you were an NFL general manager with a need at quarterback, would you still try to acquire him? How do you think this is going to affect other general managers uh, in the NFL currently and, and what they might be willing to give up for Deshaun Watson at this point? I don't see a way you could justify trading for somebody that you're not sure will get to play. As many allegations as Deshaun Watson has, let's just let's let's just take the the their true side real fast. If they're true, he's gonna have to serve some jail time if they can prove it. Um, on the other side, if they're false, you still have somebody that gets their, their name drugged through the mud a little bit. And it's still tough to justify, Hey, we traded for the guy that might have done some bad stuff, but we, it couldn't get proven. It's just, it's a sticky situation, what I'm trying to say. And it's tough to say, okay, well, what were the, what will the Texans take on him? You know, let's say two first round picks or even, a first and a second at this point and then trying to convince your fans like, Oh no, it's all good. It's fine. So I, I just don't think there's much of a market left for him at this point would be where my brain initially goes. Sam, what about you? How do you think 
the pending allegations affect his trade market, do you think that, you know, do you think he still commands a, what we kind of heard, a Russell Wilson type hall, you know, three first round picks, two starters and a third at this point? Or do you think general managers would try to lowball him at this point? How do you see this playing out? Firstly, I would just say, I think the Texans are wishing they could go back about a month ago and, and make the trade deals back then and just be done with it. But I think in reality, what this does is if if the trade situation is still even in conversation, which I don't think it is, I, I in all reality, at this point, I don't think Deshaun Watson has the footing to demand a trade more than anything. I think that's the biggest thing this does is it eliminates his ability to demand that trade because not many teams are going to take a risk. And if a team does take a risk, it's not the GM. If this decision goes through, it is going to be from the owners of the teams. Um, They are going to take this decision fully on. It's not going to be a GM head coach decision. They're going to have to run it completely through the the owner of the team because the owner is going to be the one that ultimately is, is signing off on bringing this into their culture. So it, it, I think in reality, it kills the trade options completely. If something happens miraculously, some kind of trade goes through it, that price is not going to be three first round picks, two starters and a third. You're going to be lowballing pretty hard, I think. And the only reason that the Texans would accept it is that they're just trying to get rid of them at this point, which I don't think they're going to do. So I, I, I just don't see it happening at this point. I think it's one of those situations that I hate to even think about it being a reality, but but we'll have to see what comes of it. And I think we'll end up seeing Deshaun Watson either if he is in the in a uniform next year, it's going to be in a in a Texans uniform more, more than likely. When yeah, when I first started trying to think about this situation, I for me, I wouldn't if I were a general manager, I would not try to acquire him for all the reasons you guys have already stated. It's just too big of a risk. It's it's not worth the chance. I I wouldn't be surprised if there were general managers who were constantly still in contact with the Texans, just monitoring the situation so that they know that if things are resolved in, in favor of Deshaun Watson, they would be able to maybe swoop in with an offer and go, okay, now that we know that it's good and we know that you got your guys relationship has thoroughly been decimated. Here's our best offer. I'm with you, though, and I, I won't spend a whole lot of time talking about this just because I don't know how much else there is to say about it. But the only thing that I did wonder was if a team like the Patriots would be willing to come in and go, look, we'll give you a third for him right now because of how they handled the Antonio Brown situation where Tom Brady was banging on the door saying, I want Antonio Brown amidst all of his allegations of you know, threatening a woman, hiring a personal uh, a personal investigator to to threaten her, and all of that that was going on with him. I thought maybe a team like that who has a need and has shown that they're willing to kind of bend the rules right up until they can't bend them anymore might come in. But other than that, I just I'm with you guys. I was it's pretty much a dead dead weight at this point. We wanted to do that as our third topic of the night so that we can get back to fun stuff to close things out for the night. Because obviously we don't want to leave you with a sour taste in your mouth. There's just some things that happen that we have to talk about, but there's still some fun things that we can discuss, like 
who is your favorite or best free agent signing that you've seen so far this offseason? There's a ton of movement early on. We've kind of hit that second wave of free agency where it's more about the value that you can get. And, and so things kind of slow down, but things were hot and heavy for quite a bit there in free agency. So we'll put it to you guys, and Sam, I'll come to you first on this one. Who was the best free agent signing to you? What was your favorite pick, uh, the pickup that you saw an NFL team grab? There were a couple that stood out to me, but the one that I'm going to go with hurts. It hurts my soul to admit it, but it is the cornerback combo of Ronald Darby and Kyle Fuller going to the Broncos. I thought those were two pickups for the Broncos that that scares me as a Chiefs fan, but also I kind of – it's one of those like – as soon as I saw Kyle Fuller released – I was like, man, I would love to get another Fuller on the Chiefs, even though Kendall wasn't that great. But Kyle is by far the better of the two. Um, so the the them getting that combo of of cornerbacks for pretty, I mean, pretty good value on both of them, considering that Ronald Darby's only twenty seven and they signed him for about ten million a year. I thought that's a pretty solid signing for them. And then Kendall Fuller was just under ten for a one year deal. So I got to tip my cap to him, even though, again, it hurts me to do so um, as a Chiefs fan. But but that was my my standout signing, I think, just because I think that makes their defense that rejuvenates the Broncos defense quite a bit, which we know they, they need it going against Patrick Mahomes twice a year. Jacob, what about you? When you surveyed the first wave of frenzied free agent signings, who stood out to you as a big winner? What was your favorite signing? My favorite was probably T.Y. Hilton to the Chiefs two years for $12 million. That was my favorite deal. It was crazy how much of a pay cut he took just to play with Patrick Mahomes. You know, the weird thing is I have a tough time loving any of the signings. I, I do agree with Sam. I think the Broncos did a nice job of addressing missing on A.J. Boye last year. So I'm basically going to steal Sam's because I can't think of one that I loved right this moment, which is tough. I could only think of the ones I was like, what are you doing? I, I have one that, that also hurts me. Um, not a Broncos signing, but a divisional signing. And that was the Raiders picking up Yannick and Gakwe for, again, what I thought was really reasonable for what was considered one of the top pass rushers on the market. When you can get a guy that, you know, is he great? Probably not, but he's really good. And you could get him for two for 26. That's 13 million per year is well below the average of what you would pay a top pass rusher in the NFL. And so being able to grab a guy like that, who, you know, to, to your point about age, Sam, with Ronald Darby, Yannick Ngakwe is 25 years old. He has got a lot of good football ahead of him. You have to presume where he's coming into the prime of his career. So on a team that didn't have a great pass rush to begin with and really only had one guy with Crosby that you had to really account for in, in, o- in Oakland. Did it again, Jacob. In Las Vegas, then I think that you adding that other guy just makes them a, a more dynamic pass rush, which is not something I really would like the Chiefs to have to deal with, especially amidst a time where you don't have a starting left tackle on your roster right now. Now, not everybody won out. Even if they think they did, not everybody made big splashes or, or if they did make a big splash, it might have been in the wrong pool. But 
let's go around one more time and give our worst free agent signings. Who do you think bombed, whether it was through the amount of the contract or the fit of the team or whatever it might have been? What was it that made your skin crawl? Sam, will just go right back around the horn back to you. Who do you look at and go, oh, why did you pick that guy up? How much time do we have? Um, <laughs> That I think that's the biggest thing before I give, I, I have picked my one and it was one of the bigger deals this year, but for a year where we talked about the cap being low, some of the money that's being thrown at some of these players that I'm like, I just don't understand where it's coming from or why they are deserving of it. There, it, it, there's some big contracts that have gone out to some guys that, that I just don't understand why they got it. The main one I'm looking at is a guy that tore his ACL last year, and that's Bud Dupree. Bud Dupree is a good linebacker. I'm not going to say he's not, but five years, almost $82 million. I can't, I mean, coming off an injury, I, I don't see it being a, a productive deal, especially being that Bud Dupree's benefited from a good Pittsburgh defense. So I, I thought that was a, not maybe not even that that he got signed for a good amount of money it's that they didn't no one even tried to run him as a let's see if you can come back from an ACL injury and return to form type contract because they just went straight in now they do they do have a two year out basically so if he doesn't perform in two years they can get out of it but I just that one that was a big contract for a guy that's coming off a, a pretty severe injury which can hamper players like that pretty pretty severely as we've seen in the past Jacob, how about you? What free agent signing so far has made your skin crawl? The 2013 all-star pickups of A.J. Green and J.J. Watt. That one, (laughs) paying old guys is the problem in free agency, it seems. Paying old guys significant amount of money, I would say, is a problem in free agency. So those two are the ones that boggle me. I don't think it's an issue to pay old guys in free agency as long as you're not giving them a ton of money and it's a lot of incentives like a call long deal. But yeah, those two what really boggle me. Now there is a one other candidate and so hopefully this is not what yours was, Sean. But the Nelson Aguilar man, that was a God quick bless it, Jacob. <laughs> and I'm gonna throw it to you, Sean, since that was me just previewing previewing yours. No, that you're totally fine. That was mine, though. And it's not even so much about the signing Nelson Aguilar. I think Nelson Aguilar, to kind of piggyback on what you said, Sam, solid player. He's fine. It's the contract he got when you look at the names behind him and what they got. When you see Marvin Jones at two for 12 and a half, it's a guy we talked about, like the Chiefs targeting. We're like, well, he's probably going to get too much money. Two for 12 and a half is not too much money for Marvin Jones. That is a Painfully reasonable contract. Will Fuller, one for 10.6. Juju Smith-Schuster, you know, we maybe not a great fit in Kansas City, still a solid receiver, one for eight. David Moore, a guy who I, I would have really liked to see in Kansas City as your, you know, your third or fourth receiving option. Thought that would have been great. Two years for 4.75. John Brown from Buffalo, one, point, one for year for 3.75. All these names of guys who are at least his caliber, Nelson Aguilar, I mean, getting significantly less money. And I think it just speaks to maybe Bill Belichick wanting to rush into free agency and make sure he got his guys where if he stood pat for just a little bit in some of these situations, he might have made a whole, saved a whole lot of money to get 
at least the same or better production. I'm going to throw one more out there just because I really thought one of you guys would, would nail it. And the fact that you pegged on Nelson Aguilar and not Kenny Galladay really surprises me with you guys because you're complaining about Nelson Aguilar getting $11 million. Kenny Galladay is getting $18 million a year, and he has never had a 1,000-yard receiving season. And I do not understand that, that. That was the other one that I was between, between him and Bud Dupree as being my main one. But going to the Giants and, and being expected to be a number one receiver when he is maybe at best a like one and a half receiver where he's kind of right in between, that, that's a pretty substantial amount of money uh, they're having to dish out for a guy that is not known to be a elite wide receiver. So I was actually kind of surprised you guys didn't nail him. You got went after Nelson Aguilar instead. I, I think, Sam, because – I, I didn't look up his numbers until people started projecting his contract. And then when I had the same reaction, when I looked and looked up what he had done, I was like, why are they paying this guy? Why is this guy considered the top receiver on the market? But yeah, I was that one blew my mind as well. I think a lot of it has to do with his receiving touchdowns in 2019. You know, obviously he didn't play a full season 2020. And I think a lot of people are banking on, a double digit or close to receiving touchdown season. 2019 gets 11 touches, touchdowns. And again, to your point, Sam, though, didn't get a thousand yards. And, you know, oh, I guess he did. Excuse me. I was looking at the wrong stats. He's oh, had yeah. 2000 yard season. I was looking at the wrong. I was stats. looking at snaps. Yeah. I was doing the same thing. So, but, but to your point, Sam, the whole, I played five games in 2020 and, and I'm coming back and I'm going to sign that contract. Uh, I don't know, like four for 72 is an awful lot of money for a guy coming off an injury. The last thing for him, his quarterback was one of the, the one and only um, Stat Padford, man. The guy that has thrown more fourth, fourth quarter worthless touchdowns than any person in the world. So it, it just some of these contracts, and I, I don't want to drag us out because I think there have been several contracts this year that are just not good. They have not been. For what 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 the the salary cap has has shown and what we thought was going to happen this year just don't fit the don't fit the bill like we thought they would. But him and he his is man, it's a it's a big amount of money for a guy that that hasn't shown he is a the, an elite wide receiver. I would say I think they like you guys said with kind of the same vein as Nelson Aguilar. There's been a lot of other guys that probably could have gotten the same amount of production for a lot less money. Galladay, I think, has potential. Like, I mean, obviously, 2019 had a, a number one receiver year, and it's just a matter of are you going to come back healthy? <laughs> can you come back and do that? And that to that point, it was like the one year that I think you can call him a number one. So we'll see. That's going to do it for us, though, guys. We really appreciate you hanging out with us here tonight. We had an awful lot of fun talking Chiefs football and free agency in the NFL. We are drawing closer and closer to the end of free agency and closer and closer to that NFL draft, which is, as Jacob has said, arguably the best event in all sports. So make sure you're sticking with us through every step of the way because we're going to have a lot to talk about every single week. Until next time, y'all stay safe out there, and we will talk to you then.